Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 6,000 members worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 31st of October 2022 and this is episode 276. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to author, historian and Irish Times reporter Ronan McGreevy about his recent book, Great Hatred. This book, published by Faber, explores the assassination of Field Marshal Sir Henry Wilson in 1922. Ronan spoke to me from his home in Dublin. Welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start? Thank you very by... much, Tom. You're welcome. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War and in particular Sir Henry Wilson? Well, I've always had a keen interest in history, uh, Tom, particularly military history. And um, I, I became interested around the time of the uh, centenary of the First World War in 2014. And I went on a visit to um, Ypres and to uh, Mons at that stage. And I was really surprised at how many memorials there are to Irishmen who fought in the First World War. And uh, it got me thinking about the whole process. As you know, uh, the First World War was a taboo subject for a long time in Ireland. And I decided to write a book about uh, a sort of a kind of a cross between a, a history, a conventional military history, and a kind of a, a, a tourist guide to the Western Front, uh, focusing on the memorials that are left to the Irish. And there's a hell of a lot of them. Uh, as you know, there's the Ulster Tower, there's the um, uh, there's the Island of Ireland Peace Park, um, there's uh, memorials and moms to the Royal Irish Regiment, um, there's the... Um, the uh, well, I, I'm sorry, my, my mind's gone a little bit blank there, but there, there are over 23, there are 23 memorials in my book, and they all tell a story of the Irish experience in the First World War. So that book was published in, uh, in 2016. You had me on to speak about it before. It's called Wherever the Firing Line Extends Ireland and the Western Front. And the last chapter in it is about a guy called Robert Armstrong who fought in the First World War on the Irish Guards and became a, a gardener with the Imperial War Graves Commission after the war, now the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. Um, and uh, he, uh, during the Second World War, when the uh, commission staff were, were evacuated at Dunkirk, he stayed on because he was an Irish citizen. He joined the uh, French resistance, was captured by the Germans and sentenced to death. That sentence of death was commuted to life imprisonment, but uh, he died in a German prisoner of war camp in 1944. And he was from Curry Gray in County Longford. His father, uh, Robert Armstrong, his father, uh, James, was the um, caretaker on the Curry Grain estate. And the Curry Grain estate is the family home of uh, Henry Wilson. So that got me thinking about the kidnapping of Wilson and also about the... Um, uh, about the fact that uh, the, the house was burnt to the ground in August 1922 and the Wilson family never returned there. So that's that's how I began with my interest in, in, in Henry Wilson. So let's start with who is Henry Wilson? Can you give a bit of background about his sort of family uh, position, his military career and what he did during the First World War? 
Well, uh, Henry Wilson was an Irishman, uh, uh, self-professed as well as everything else, and was regarded as an Irishman. He was also a, a staunch unionist. Um, he was a Southern unionist. That's important to state. Uh, his, um, as I said to you, his he, he grew up in Corrigan County, Longford, which was south of what became the border in 1921. Um, but he uh, strongly identified with uh, Ulster. His family had been in Ulster uh, since the Williamite Wars of the 1690s. His grandfather made a fortune in uh, provisioning the, the British Army during the uh, Crimean War. And, uh, you know, the family bought uh, quite a few estates. So he grew up on the Curry Grand Estate. It was uh, 1,200 acres. Um, he had a typical Anglo-Irish uh, upbringing. He was uh, sought at home by a French governess and he became fluent in French. He went to Marlborough College, but then he um, he uh, failed his, ex his exams at Sandhurst on, on Woolwich on several different occasions. So he got in the, the door by the, he got in by the back door to the uh, Longford Militia and then to the Royal Irish Regiment. But to cut a long story short, uh, he proved to be a very talented uh, organizer uh, and uh, he rose up the ranks was the director of military operations in 1914 at the outbreak of the first war and became the chief of the imperial general staff in 1918 which was the professional head of the british army and was he involved in the curra mutiny of uh, of um, spring 1914 yes he very much was um wilson was uh an avowed unionist um even after uh, the uh, Anglo-Irish Treaty established the Free State in 1921, he felt that Ireland uh, would go to rack and ruin if it didn't remain within the British Empire, and he did everything he could uh, to make that happen. Um, in 1914, in March 1914, during the Curra incident, he was the uh, Director of Military Operations with a very serious position in the British Army, but he abused that position uh, to intrigue against the Liberal government at the time. Um, he advised um, the Goff brothers, Hubert and Johnny, who were two of the ringleaders of the Curry incident. And just to remind your listeners that the Curry incident was an incident whereby um, uh, a number of Anglo-Irish officers based at the Curra uh, conveyed basically to the British government that they would not... Uh, would they would resign their commissions rather than march against Ulster or obey any government uh, commands in relation to Ulster. So it was a very serious development at that stage. Uh, Wilson in, uh, Wilson also briefed uh, uh, Andrew Bonner Law um, uh, in relation to it, and uh, who was a, who was a staunch conservative at that time. And um, it was a, it was a pretty it was a pretty dire episode whereby you know the senior officers in the British government in, in the British Army, including um, Wilson, were were intriguing against the the, the British government. Uh, it did uh, Wilson no favors. Um, Herbert Asquith despised him uh, and refused to promote him, even when he seemed like an obviously an obvious candidate for the chief of the Imperial General Staff. He called him a poisonous, though clever ruffin. And um, the king, uh, King George, uh, the time was also very distressed about the whole episode, as was Lloyd George. So, uh, yes, um, to cut a long story short, Wilson was involved in intriguing during the uh, Curra incident stroke mutiny. So tell us about his assassination. What happened? Well, uh, 
just to go back to the end of the war, obviously at the end of the war, he's still the chief of the Imperial General Staff. Um, he's one of one of the men that wins the war as far as many of his contemporaries are concerned, involved in the setting up of the uh, Allied Supreme Command with his friend Ferdinand Foch as the Supreme Commander. As we know, the, there was a, a, an all-arms uh, assault uh, over 100 days uh, from August 1940. 18 to November 1918, which ended the First World War quicker than most people had anticipated. So Wilson is uh, in very good order with the British public and the uh, British government uh, at the end of the First World War. But uh, very quickly after that, um, the Irish War of Independence breaks out. And uh, this is the attempt by the IRA stroke Sinn Féin to, um, to fight for a, an independent Irish state. Um, Wilson is the head of the British Army at this stage, and he is somebody who uh, believes that um, the sort of half-hearted measures as he saw them that the British were doing by by bringing auxiliaries and black and tans to uh, supplement the um, the, 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 the RIC uh, was the wrong approach and that basically the British Army should be brought in to saturate the countryside and kill all the Sinn Feiners, as he put it, uh, the murder gang. And uh, that was the start of it all. And uh, Wilson uh, fell out with the British government over Ireland. He had no truck at all with the negotiations that led to the Anglo-Irish Treaty. Uh, he felt that Ireland should have remained part of the United, even after people like um, uh, Carson and Craig felt otherwise. So um, that's, that, that brings us up to February 1922, where his four-year term as SIGS is over. Uh, he's now he's not going to be reappointed to the army. So he he's elected as a North, an MP for North Down uh, four days later. Uh, and he sits as an Ulster Unionist uh, on the Conservative benches. And straight away, uh, he's involved in criticising publicly what he had done in private, uh, the British government's policy in Ireland. So in March 1922, he becomes the um, military advisor to the James Craig government. It's at a time when there's a huge amount of sectarian strife in the north. And uh, the Ulster uh, Special Constabulary, better known as the B Specials, are regarded as being um, uh, as regarded as being responsible for a lot of uh, outrages against the Catholic population in the north. The, the northern government brings in the Special Powers Act, which allow for the internment of, without trial of Catholics. And it's also known as the Flogging Act. So Wilson becomes um, he becomes associated in the minds of Irish nationalism with the worst excesses of 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 northern of the northern unionist government. And that is fundamentally the reason why he's targeted for assassination in the summer of 1922. So tell us about the assassination and how it unfolded. I know it took place in London, but what actually happened and and what's the sequence of events? So the sequence of events is that um, uh, I point out in the book that um, I suppose the first thing I would say to you is, is to answer that question is, well, we'll come on to who ordered the assassination later, but let me just tell you that that Wilson was was targeted for assassination after the treaty was signed. So he was one of the few people who who was still a target for the IRA after after the treaty, and for the reasons that I explained for his perceived involvement in in the Northern government. Um, so uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a 
there's an order for him to be shot, but where and when can you do this? You have to, you have to have a location. You have the motivation, but you don't have the opportunity. So the opportunity arises uh, on the 21st of June, 1922, is there's a meeting of the uh, IRA in uh, Mooney's pub in Holborn. And um, his two assassins, Reggie Dawn and Joe O'Sullivan are there. And somebody walks in with a pay, with a copy of the evening news newspaper uh, and that newspaper states that uh, in a single column down the right hand side that, uh, that Wilson is going to uh, unveil a memorial to uh, the men from the Great Eastern Railway Company who died in the First World War at Liverpool Street Station on the following lunchtime at 12.45am. So now uh, here we have we have the, the, the motivation, now we have the opportunity. So Don and O'Sullivan repair to, uh, to um, Liverpool Street Station. Uh, they realise that it'll be impossible to shoot him uh, with so many people around. And so they decide, uh, really on a whim, I suppose, to go to um, uh, his house at number 36 Eaton Place, which is in Belgravia, and wait for him to return from the event. So Wilson, um, he he completes his, his duties and unveils a memorial, which is still there to this day, by the way, uh, and uh, he has he has a, an appointment in the House of Commons at three thirty. So he goes home to change out of his military uniform. And Donna Sullivan are waiting for him on the doorstep. Uh, they shoot him six times, and he dies. He dies at the scene. Tell us about the assassins. Who were they, and who ordered the hit? Okay, well, let, let me answer the first question first. Uh, Don and Reggie Don and Joe Sullivan are two. London-born veterans of the First World War, wounded veterans, uh, moreover. Reggie Dawn is the son of a British Army bandmaster uh, from a Catholic-Irish background. His mother's family are from County Monaghan. Um, he is a Jesuit-educated boy. Uh, he joins the Irish Guards in 1916. He's injured during the German Spring Offensive and invalided out of the army. And he gets a pension from the wound pension from the British government after the war. And he becomes, he goes to teach training college to become a, a teacher in a Catholic school. Uh, he's also an only child. Joe O'Sullivan is a, from a conventional Irish background. His parents are both uh, from County Cork. His father's from Bantry. He's from, a, as his brother put it, an old Fenian family. There's 11 of them in it. Um, and seven, there's seven boys and four girls, six of the boys, serve in the First World War. Joe Sullivan uh, loses a leg. Um, I haven't got the exact location, but I have deduced from my research that he lost a leg at the Battle of Passchendaele in August 1917, uh, I think on the 16th of August, and uh, he's invalided out. He gets a job uh, uh, as a messenger boy in the, in the Ministry of Labour, uh, where he uh, is able to find out um, uh, uh, Henry Wilson's address and also what Henry Wilson looks like. So the two boys, they're two Catholic Irish boys who are radicalised after the First World War. Um, Reggie John uh, joins the IRA through the Irish cultural movement. He's a he's a he's a a, 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 a musician himself. He plays the violin. He joins to Conrad the Gelga, which is still an Irish uh, language organization today. 
and um, he becomes radicalized, whereas Joe O'Sullivan, I suppose it was a more natural path for him because of his family upbringing. His brother Pat O'Sullivan, who's also a veteran of the First World War, signs, uh, swears Joe O'Sullivan into the IRA. So Reggie Dunn, to cut a long story short, becomes the uh, officer commanding the, the London IRA. They're involved in um, arson attacks. They're involved in smuggling. They're involved in plans to um, assassinate members of the British cabinet, which don't come off because uh, the final order is never given. And they target the homes of black and tans and uh, auxiliaries in Ireland. So, or in London. So uh, he's very, they're very busy during the, 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 the war of, of independence. Um, so that's, that's that, that, those are the two guys. Um, the motivation, the order for the, uh, um, the order for the shooting, um, it's, I just want to go through the sequence of events because just there, there are two possibilities really, I boil it down to. One is that Reggie Dunn and Joe Sullivan acted of their own accord in shooting Wilson, that they just decided arbitrarily to shoot him. Um, I don't believe that that's the case for a number of different reasons, one of which is that Reggie Dawn and Joe Sullivan were soldiers and they regarded themselves as soldiers. Well, when they were in the IRA, they took orders from from uh, IRA HQ in Dublin. They they weren't maverick operators. They did what they was asked of them. Reggie Dawn gives a very strong account about the, the importance of discipline and organization and following commands. So... Uh, for a, lo- a, lo- a lot of different reasons, I, I don't believe that they uh, carried out the killing, which means that somebody ordered that shooting. So who could that? Who could have ordered the assassination of the former head of the British Army? Well, there are only three candidates, or four candidates, as far as I can see. One is the anti-treaty side, which was blamed for it by Lloyd George, but I think it's fair to say that that is not uh, there's not the case. There's no evidence. Uh, supporting uh, the idea that the anti-treaty side were involved at all. Um, the other is that the Irish government ordered the assault. Uh, we know that's not the case because um, uh, Arthur Griffith and members of the Irish cabinet were shocked by the killing and they knew nothing about it. The third reason is the IRA. Um, but the IRA at this stage is the army of the nascent Irish state. It's shortly to become the National Army. And um, it would have involved an order from Richard Mulcahy, who was the chief of, of the IRA general staff. And um, he knew nothing about this shooting and an and, and order to resign, uh, offer to resign as a result of it, which leaves to me one organization, which is the Irish Repu- Republican Brotherhood, the IRB, which is an organization which is headed up by Michael Collins. It has the means, the motivation and the, the organizational ability to uh, carry out an assassination like that, this. And it is important to state that at that meeting in um, Mooney's pub on the night before the uh, O'Sullivan, before the Wilson assassination, um, Sam McGuire was there. Sam McGuire, uh, some of your listeners will know, is, gives his name to the uh, All Ireland Trophy for football. But at the time, he was the head of the IRB in London and had also sworn. Michael Collins into the organisation, and Michael Collins was the president of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. So what happened to the assassins? Were they caught? Well, um, as I said to you, uh, uh, Tom, um, Don was, Don had uh, his leg shattered. He was very badly injured in, um, in the German Spring Offensive. He often walked with a cane, although he appears to have been uh, free of a cane at that stage uh, in June 1922. Um 
Joe Sullivan had lost his leg. Um, so after they shot uh, Wilson, they, they fled from the scene. They shot two policemen as they were running away. But unfortunately for them, I mean, Belgravia is a fairly quiet place. So, uh, you know, the fact that there had been six shots would have, um, uh, uh, you know, would have alerted the police who were in the area to 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 what was going on. And they they descended on 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 Donan O'Sullivan very quickly. Uh, he was out. They were apprehended uh, in Ebury Street, just beside uh, Gerard Street Police Station, which isn't there anymore. But anyway, uh, they were caught uh, red handed, so to speak. Um, they were put on trial, and um, they offered they offered no uh, they offered no um, mitigating circumstances other than that they felt that they were justified in doing what they did. They were sentenced to death, and they were hanged on the tenth of August, nineteen twenty-two, in Wandsworth Prison. And is there is there any sort of ongoing historical resonance from this this assassination? Uh, well. I describe uh, I describe this assassination as Ireland Sarajevo because, um, as you know, uh, being as a military historian yourself, you know that the that the First World War begins with the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which leads um, which leads to the ultimatum from uh, Austria to Serbia, and this uh, leads to Germany and Russia becoming involved, and after that, France and Britain and Belgium, etc. So you know you go. F- 37 days you go from the assassination of Sarajevo to an all-out war in Europe. Um, I, I think the Wilson assassination has very much the same role in, in, in the Irish context. So what happens is after the Wilson is shot, the British government blames the anti-treaty site, who are at that stage occupying the four courts in defiance of the provisional government. The provisional government is forced to act against the uh, anti-treaty uh, rebels. They shell the four courts with borrowed British guns on the 28th of June 1922. So this starts the Irish Civil War. So my contention in the book is that without the Wilson shooting, there would have been no civil war in Ireland. So it was um, uh, uh, it was a it was a it was a hinge moment, as uh, so to speak, a kind of a um, what do you call it, a sliding doors moment in Irish history. Um, obviously, a lot of historians would contend that, like, if the if the civil war hadn't happened one way, it would have happened another. But um, I I have my doubts about that. It was a it was an incredibly important moment, basically, in Irish history. And then just to just to complete the historical cycle, how long does the civil war and how many casualties are there as a result of this conflict? Well, the civil war lasts from uh, June 1922 to May 1923. Um, it's it's it, it, there is huge damage caused to Ireland. The the essentially the, the damage that was done with with buildings and, and railways that were wrecked and roads that were dug up, etc., was of the order of of the it cost the entire Irish taxation revenues for a year to fix, but the number of dead was numbered about thirteen hundred, which you know for a small country of three million people is a huge amount of people. But it isn't just the the people the the numbers who were killed; it was the people who were killed. I mean, the civil war uh, took the finest people that Ireland had at the time. Michael Collins, most famously, was assassinated at Bail and on the 22nd of August. You had the likes of Cahal Brewer, uh, Rory O'Connor, um, Erskine Childers. Um, and then you had this, the brutal assassination or the brutal execution by the Irish Free State of, of, of 81 uh, Republican prisoners, which still casts a shadow to this day. 
Um, for instance, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, the Sinn Féin leader, who is probably going to be Ireland's next Taoiseach, her great uncle was uh, executed by the Irish government. You had a number of atrocities that were carried out uh, uh, at in in County Kerry in, in March 1923, when nine Republican prisoners were tied to a landmine and blown up. So there was a degree of savagery in the in the civil war. There was an awful lot of damage done. Uh, and then on foot of that, you had the creation of two, two, the two dominant parties in Irish history, which are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And they, uh, they, Fianna Fáil was the anti-treaty party and Fine Gael was the pro-treaty party. So between them, they have, um, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've resulted directly from, from the split that happened as a result of the Civil War. So the Civil War poisoned Irish politics for a long, long time. Uh, maybe for two or three generations afterwards. Um, thankfully, I think it's, it's in the rearview mirror, so to speak. Uh, it's not regarded as as, as important now, but um, at the time, it it was a very very serious incident which almost wrecked the Irish state at, at, at its inception. And finally, what's your book called, and where can people get it? My book is called Great Hatred, The Assassination of Field Marshal Sir Henry Wilson, MP. It's available, uh, it's published by Faber and Faber. It's available in most bookshops. It's available online at Amazon or wherever you buy your books online. Uh, It's obviously available in Kindle. And uh, there will be later this year uh, an audio book as well. So, um, yeah. So uh, thank you, Tom, for the opportunity to, to speak about it. I really appreciate it. Ronan, thank you for your time. That was great. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.